0: The gospel of John chapter 20 beginning with verse 24 listen to what God's Word says now Thomas also known as Didymus one of the 12 was not with the disciples when Jesus came so the other disciples told him we have seen the Lord but he said to them unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side I will not believe Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. In verse 27, Jesus closes that verse out by saying, Stop doubting and believe. I want to talk about you can't make me doubt him. That's one of the songs we used to sing in my childhood church when I was a youngster. You can't make me doubt him because I know too much about him. That is why I love him so, because he's so real to me. You can't make me doubt him. Dan Orlowski uh, is an NFL analyst now. Well, he played in the NFL for 13 years. He played quarterback for Detroit and for the Indianapolis Colts. And so now Dan is an analyst for ESPN. And in 2019, in January, the Indianapolis Colts was playing a wild-card playoff game against the Tennessee Titans and they won the game handedly and of course they won that game not just because of the good luck on the Indianapolis Colts but because of the Indianapolis Colts defense and Dan says about the Indianapolis Colts defense at that time he said that he said that they the Indianapolis Colts defense are so good because they are great liars He said it as a compliment. He wasn't trying to degrade them. It was a compliment. He said the Indianapolis Coast defense are great liars. What he was saying is that the Indianapolis Coast defense will set up a scheme, and then when the ball is snapped, then they move to another scheme. They'll set up and make the opposing team and the opposing quarterback think that they're in a man-to-man defense. And then the opposing quarterback will have a wide receiver uh, go into motion and a defender for the Colts will go with him. And then the, the opposing quarterback will have a running back go into motion right after that. Another defender for the Colts will go with him. That's a sign that this is man-to-man. And then when the ball is snapped, those players of the defense stop running man-to-man with them. And then they just key in on the quarterback. Now, this is an indication that they're in a zone they lied they made them think they were in man-to-man ended up in a zone now they bringing pressure on the quarterback quarterback hits quarterback uh, uh, they're just pulling him down and and here's what dan says the reason why they're so successful because they're great liars then he went on to say that most people think that if you're going to defeat a quarterback It's because of the hits. If you just keep hitting him, you'll defeat a quarterback. He said, no, that's not how you defeat a quarterback. And he played 13 seasons in the NFL. And he says the way you defeat a quarterback is by making him doubt. And if you can get him to doubt the schemes and doubt the play and doubt the call, then you have a great chance of getting the victory over that quarterback. Here's what the Bible says about the devil, that the devil is the father of lies. And as the father of lies, even as God seeks to develop us through the truth, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. God seeks to develop us through the truth, while the devil seeks to defeat us and destroy us through lies. Because the enemy is trying to get us to doubt. And to doubt God. We're not worried about the hits. We've taken hits before. (laughs) The coronavirus is not our first hit. Uh, We've been hit before. Emphysema had a hit on us. Uh, smallpox had a hit on us, H1N1, that hit us. We've been hit before. It's not the hits that's taken us out. AIDS, HIV hit hit on us. Matter of fact, those of us of color living in America, we know how to take hits. We were hit with slavery and and hit with lynchings and and hit with racism and hit with Jim Crow laws. Uh, we, We know how to take hits. It's not the hits that defeat us. It's the doubt. When we start doubting Jesus and doubting God and doubting his word and doubting the move of God and the things of God, that's when defeat comes in on our lives. The Gospel of Mark, Mark was in chapter 5. He was telling us about Jesus Christ when, of course, Jesus started his earthly ministry when he was 30 years old. And Jesus was a national preacher. He went all over Israel. He was healing the sick, raising the dead, giving sight to the blind, turning water into wine, feeding crowds of two pieces of fish and five biscuits. I mean, Jesus was working miracles everywhere he went. Then he went, and Mark says he went back home. He went back to Nazareth where he spent much of his childhood. And when he went back to Nazareth, he began to preach and teach. And people in Nazareth was amazed at his wisdom and power and authority in preaching and teaching. And then Mark says this. That Jesus could not perform any miracles in Nazareth except healing a few sick people. Wait a minute. He could not perform miracles except the few people sick being healed? Well, if he could not do it, we know it wasn't about the power of Jesus. He's demonstrated that power all over the nation, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. He was performing miracles all the time. It's not his power. Mark told us what the reason was because the people in Nazareth did not believe. And because of their doubt, they missed out on miracles. Because of their doubt, they missed out on the move of God. And it's not just in Nazareth in the first century, but it's in our time in the 21st century and in many of our communities where we doubt Jesus. And it is that doubt It's going to keep us from the move of God and the miracles of God in our life. The passage of Scripture that I read to you in John chapter 20, uh, this is after Jesus has died on the cross. God raised him from the dead. And that resurrection night, he went and he met with the disciples in Jerusalem. And when he went to meet with the disciples, this is all in the earlier parts of chapter 20, only 10 of the disciples were in the house. Well, we know Judas had already done that which was self-destructive. Thomas, for whatever reason, Thomas was not there. Though he's a disciple, he's not meeting when the other disciples meet to connect with each other and connect with Jesus in the house. He wasn't there. And Jesus shows up. And when Jesus shows up, in verse 19, it says that he showed up and he's there and they see Jesus and they hear Jesus and they experience the resurrected Christ. But Thomas missed out on it. Because for whatever reason, even though he was a disciple, when the other disciples came to connect with each other and connect with Christ in the house, he wasn't there. And so after that experience, they went and found Thomas. He was called the twin. And, and when they found twin, they told him, man, Jesus is alive. He's raised. He's risen from the dead. Just like he said, the women were right. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And here's what Thomas told them. I won't believe it. And the only way, I don't care what y'all say. I don't care how y'all testify. I don't care what story you tell. I'm not going to believe it until I can take my finger and stick it in the hole in Jesus' hand from the nails when he was nailed to the cross and stick my hand in the hole in his side where that Roman soldier stuck him with that spear in his side. Until I can do that, I don't care what y'all say, I won't believe. Won't believe? No, because he wouldn't show up when the other disciples were meeting with Jesus in the house and with each other. So he didn't see what they saw. He didn't hear what they heard. He didn't experience what they experienced with Jesus. But now here he is in doubt. And it's not just the twin in John 20. It's some of us now that we just won't believe what Jesus says. We won't accept the truth of the Word of God, that truth that develops us. And we miss out on it. We miss out on the blessings. We miss out on deliverance. We miss out on miracles because we're doubting. Mel Gibson, I believe it was in 2004 when the movie The Passion of Christ came out. Mel Gibson was the director of the movie. He put it together. I heard him uh, when he was promoting the movie. He would go on talk shows and promote The Passion of Christ, the movie. And he said, listen, I've accepted Jesus as my personal Savior. I believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. And the Lord told me to put this movie together of the suffering and the passion of Jesus Christ. And he said that I went to different producers and I kept trying to get them to invest in the passion of Christ. And Mel Gibson said, not one producer would invest in the passion of Christ. And then he said, but the Lord told me to do it. And since God told me to do it, I put my own money up. Since no one would invest in it, I put up my own money. He said, I put up $25 million of my own money. And by now, we know those numbers from the box office. More than 360 million that, uh, that came in in the United States. Almost $700 million that came in from the Passion of Christ globally. And by the time the DVDs came out and everything else to go with movies, more than a $1 billion would have been $1 billion return." on a $25 million investment in the Passion of Christ. Can you imagine being one of those producers that had an opportunity to invest in the Passion of Christ and wouldn't do it? And now you find out there was a billion-dollar return on a $25 million investment. And the reason why they didn't invest in the Passion of Christ because they didn't think Jesus was able. They didn't think Jesus could do it. And every week, Christian leaders across our nation and world seek to get us to invest in the things of God, in the passion of Christ, in the kingdom of God. And some of us just refuse. And the reason we refuse is because we don't believe Jesus is able. We don't believe that Jesus can do it, but thank God there is that remnant. Thank God that there are those who bring their tithe, bring their offering, they're very generous, and invest in the things of God because you know he's able. That when you give, he'll give back to you good measures, pressed down, shaken together. He'll make it run over. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all you can ask, think, or imagine. But it's all tied in to believing that he's able. That doubt is what leads us to defeat. And I couldn't help but wonder, how could Thomas, who walked with Jesus for three years, he's a hand-picked disciple, what would bring him to doubt? What would bring him to tell other disciples, I don't care what y'all say, I'm not going to believe. Maybe it was all that difficulty he was going through. And we know the difficulty in the first century. He's a Hebrew, and the Hebrew people were under oppression and suppression and depression by the Roman government. And when you have to face oppression every day, man, that difficulty, if you're not careful, can lead you to doubt. And if that were not bad enough, the difficulty of having Jesus wasn't just in his head the Messiah to him. But that was a friend of his. They had walked together for more than almost three and a half years. And now to see him crucified, to see him going to prison, to see him wrongly accused and lied on and beaten down like that, all of that difficulty became so heavy on Thomas until he started doubting. And if you and I are not careful, the pain, the problems, the issues, the challenges, and then he had a loved one that died, somebody close to him that died. Man, that kind of stuff, if you're not careful, will lead you to doubt. And and I believe the reason why he was doubting is because that some of that theology in the first century, that school of thought, that school of theology that some of them were adhering to, man, it just wasn't, it just wasn't right. The, 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 here's, here's what many in Israel in the first century believe. They believed that if you sinned, you would suffer. And if you're suffering, you're suffering because of sin. And that's why it was hard for him to believe Jesus was Messiah. How can I believe that when he's suffering? Because if you sin, you suffer. And if you're suffering, you're suffering because of sin. He's thinking Jesus can't be the Christ because he died on the cross. And I wish somebody could have told Thomas, you only listening to half a truth. And my mother told me half a truth is still a lie. Half a truth, yeah. If you sin, you will suffer. That is true. The wages of sin is death. Whenever anybody sins, suffering is going to come. But the lie part is just because you're suffering doesn't mean you're suffering because of sin. You can be the holiest person in the world and still suffer. Y'all, the Bible says it rains on the just as well as the unjust. Jesus was tempted in all points as we are, and he never sinned, but yet he still suffered. And it's that messed up doctrine along with the difficulties he was facing that led him to doubt. That's why you got to be careful <laughs> where you get your doctrine from. And then, of course, his doubt, I believe, was tied into disappointment. When he saw Jesus die on that cross, he was so disappointed. When he be- Many of the disciples, when they believed Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, they thought that Jesus was coming as the Messiah to overthrow the Roman government and their oppression and to restore Israel and to raise Israel up as an earthly uh, a kingdom on this earth. And that's why Jesus had to keep telling them, my kingdom is not of this world. And then when they saw Jesus die on the cross, Thomas was thinking, there's our hope. There's our hope of Jesus turning this thing around and overthrowing the Roman government and establishing this kingdom. And he was so greatly disappointed that Jesus didn't do it the way he thought he should. Now, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been disappointed in Jesus that when you go through suffering and pain or job loss or cut in pay or issues in your family or sickness or have a loved one or somebody close to you die, Or loss of a job and in that pain you're thinking I thought I had it better with Jesus than this I thought God and I were closer than this why would God let this happen to me and that disappointment if you're not careful the twin shows us Thomas shows us it could lead to doubt and then in the midst of all of that the text says that while they're telling Peter telling Thomas about the resurrected Christ. Thomas says, I'm not going to believe it. And Then one week later they meet again and this time when the disciples meet, Thomas is with them. Here come the disciples, they're meeting in the house again and then it says and Jesus showed up inside the house. Oh I love that because I want you to understand there is no doubt that Jesus will show up even when we don't get it right in our head and in our heart, he still shows up, even in our difficulty, even in our disappointment, even in our depression and suppression, even in our pain. Jesus showed up. There is no doubt that he will show up. That's my word to you today. I don't care how bad things are in your life. Jesus will show up. I don't care how bad it is in your family or community. Jesus will show up. Pastor, how can you say that? With such a definitive way, in such a definitive way. Well, here's why I can say it. because You can always tell what somebody's going to do based on what they've already done. Jesus has a history of showing up. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they put their faith in God and thrown in that fiery furnace, Nebuchadnezzar said, didn't I tell y'all to throw in three, but I see four. And the fourth one looks like the Son of God, because Jesus showed up. When Daniel was in that lion's den who had trusted in God and prayed to God despite being thrown into the lion's den with that stone in front of that den. All night he was there. And the next morning the king came out and hollered uh, through the stone, Daniel, has your God delivered you? And Daniel hollered back through the stone, my God sent an angel. That's because Jesus has a history of showing up in our lives. When Paul and Silas had been preaching in Philippi, and spreading the kingdom of God, they were thrown into prison. And when they were thrown into prison at midnight, they began to sing and pray. When they sang and prayed at midnight, that's when God had an earthquake to come, and the jailhouse rocked, and the chains fell off of them, and the jail doors opened to their freedom because Jesus shows up in our lives. And I can testify myself that in my most difficult times of my life, in trials, and even times of disappointment, that Jesus has a history of showing up Matter of fact, every time I turn around, he's blessing me. And I know I'm not by myself. I know if you look back over your light, you'll see that Jesus will show up. So there is no doubt he'll show up. And when he showed up, the text says that the door was locked. And even though the door was locked, he didn't need them to open the door. He just said he got in on the other side of a locked door. And I believe that, that John puts this in here as he writes this as led by the Spirit of God. To help you and I to understand locked doors don't bother Jesus. Jesus knows how to get in on the other side of a locked door. Because I know that some of us have been locked out socially and we've been locked out politically and we've been locked out economically and some even been locked out relationally. But I want to encourage you, locked doors don't bother Jesus. The Bible teaches us that Jesus can open doors that no man can close. And Big Mama said, he can close doors that can't no man open. Y'all, Jesus will show up. But wait a minute, something else this text teaches us. That's why you can't make me doubt it. Because not only does he show up, but then he spoke up. There is no doubt that Jesus will speak up. He doesn't just show up, but he speaks to our situation. Matter of fact, a week prior to this, when Thomas wasn't there, when Jesus showed up, he showed up and said, peace be unto you. And then he started talking about that, that I, the purpose that he has. Even as the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. He gives them an assignment. He spoke purpose into their life. And he said, and I give to you, un, unto you the Holy Spirit. He gave them the power and the comfort and the strength of the Holy Spirit. He spoke that into their life. And then Jesus says that I'm forgiving you And you got to forgive others, even as I'm forgiving you. And I'm so glad that even in difficult times and hardships, that the Lord speaks to us. And one week later, now Thomas is there with the other disciples in the house. And now he's witnessing Jesus. And when Jesus showed up, Jesus said, peace be unto you. I know you got difficulties. I know you've been disappointed. I know you've been oppressed and suppressed. I know life has been hard for you. But then he said peace be unto you. You know that Christ doesn't have to remove confusion and chaos to give you peace. He'll give you peace in the midst of your storm. He'll give you peace in the midst of your sorrow. He'll give you peace that surpasses all human understanding. He'll give you perfect peace if your mind is stayed on Jesus, and He spoke that peace, and that's what I want you to understand, that the Lord is speaking right now. He's He's shown, there's no doubt the Lord has shown up, and there's no doubt He's speaking, and sometimes He speaks through visions and dreams, and sometimes He speaks through other people. He'll speak through your minister, your pastor, your parents, your your friends, your co-workers, and He'll speak a word to you, even in the difficulties that you face. Sometimes he speaks to us through his Holy Spirit and his Holy Spirit will reveal some things. Sometimes he speaks to us through situations and circumstances. And then of course, he speaks to us through his word. Jesus, there's no doubt he's speaking and we need to listen to his word. (laughs) That's why when I pray to God, I say, God, hide your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's why I seek to meditate on the word of God Day and night, because when you meditate on the word of God day and night, you're going to be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bring forth your fruit in your season. And your leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever you do shall prosper when you meditate on what he speaks to you through his word. You got to keep listening to his voice. Heaven and earth will pass away before one jot or tittle of God's word. God's word is like a lamp to our feet. It's like a light to our pathway. There's no doubt. That Jesus will show up there's no doubt Jesus will speak up and then finally there's no doubt that Jesus showed his scars Jesus got in on the other side of that locked door and Jesus says peace be unto you And then he said to Thomas come and take your finger and stick it in the hole in my hand that's been left by the nails when I was nailed to the cross And Thomas, come and take your hand and stick it in the hole in my side when the Roman soldier stuck that spear in my side when I was dying on the cross for your sins. And Thomas says, if that's not enough, I'm sure Jesus would have got around to, and I'll take my shoes off if that's necessary, where the spikes have gone through my feet if you need to stick your finger in that hole as well. Because Jesus says, I know what you've been thinking. I know what you've been saying. I know your doubts. And your doubt was, no matter what other disciples say, no matter what people who've experienced me and heard me and spent time with me say to you, no matter what testimony they have, you refuse to believe. And so now take your hand and stick it in the hole in my side, your finger in the hole in my hand. And then Jesus said this to Thomas, Stop doubting and start believing. That's the word to you and I. (laughs) Thomas' response was, my Lord and my God. Now, I don't know if he stuck his finger in the hole in his hand or his hand in the hole and said, the text doesn't say that. But it does say, when he saw those scars of Jesus, he said, my Lord and my God. Because Jesus came and showed his scars. That is so significant. I, I'm born and raised in the church. I was in church before I even knew I was in church. My mother made us go to church and all that kind of stuff. And when I gave my life to Christ at, at 13, I never left the church. I'm not saying I never made mistakes. You know had people leave the church and turn their back on the church and then come back later. I never left. I'm not saying I never sinned, but I never left the church. I'm born and raised in the church. I've stayed with the church. Here's one thing I learned about the church and I travel all over this nation. Church folk, don't like to show their scars for whatever reason we like to hide our scars I think we hide our scars because of that messed up doctrine I talked about where people don't believe you a child of God because of your scars they'll say things like you can't really be a child of God because God wouldn't let you go through that suffering God wouldn't let you go through that pain God wouldn't let you go through all of that if you were really his child and so we hide our scars because we don't want people to think I'm not his child. And then when young believers, people young in the faith, they never see our scars. And then when they go through trials and troubles and hurts and pains and crisis, they think something's wrong with their faith. Maybe my faith is not right because look at all these hurts and pains. that I No, that's not what it is. It's just that we haven't shown you our scars because we didn't want you to think we were not children of God. Y'all, the fact that you have scars and you survive and thrive. That doesn't mean you're not God's child. Actually, that kind of proves you are God's child. That's why Jesus showed his scars. Jesus said, Thomas, look at the holes in my hand, look at the hole in my side. Jesus showed his scars. This didn't disprove that he was the Son of God. It actually proved he was the Son of God. Jesus is saying, Who could have gone through what I've gone through? Who could have gone through the suffering, through the denial, through the betrayal, through being beaten and locked up for something I shouldn't have been locked up from? Who could have been nailed to the cross like I was and spikes in my feet? Who could have been taunted and teased like that and died on the cross and crucified? And then three days later, I came back from that. I was raised from that. I must be God's child. I must be the son of God to be able to bounce back from all of that. Y'all, your, your scars do not disprove that you're God's child. Your scars prove you are God's child. Other people went through the same difficulties, the same disappointments, the same divorce, the same economic downturn, the same sickness, the same disease you went through, same issue in your family, and they went and jumped off a bridge. They slipped their wrists. They turned their back on Christ and the church. They turned to drugs and alcohol. And you went through it, and here you are still connecting with Christ and his church. Here you are still praising God. Here you are still trusting God, still believing in him. That's because that's proof you are his child, that he was able to raise you up out of that. And even now, I believe whatever we're going through now, Jesus is showing us his scars, is letting us know Uh, Listen, if God can raise a dead Jesus, he can raise you out of the difficulties that you're going through right now. Yeah, he said, Jesus said, stop doubting and believe. You you've already believed he died on the cross. You already believe God raised him from the dead. You put your faith in him. Well, don't doubt him now. Jesus said, stop doubting. I grew up in Arlington Woods in Indianapolis, Indiana, 46218. And when I was a youngster, one of the the phrases we used to use was, no doubt, that's what we would say, no doubt. It was a statement of affirmation and confirmation, no doubt. So somebody would say, you know, Walter Payton is one of the greatest running backs in the history of the NFL. And then we would say, no doubt, that's a statement of affirmation. We'd say, Julius Irving, Dr. J has to be one of the most athletic and greatest Uh, basketball players ever in the NBA. We say, no doubt, that's affirmation, confirmation. Yes, he is, no doubt. It's Hank Aaron, oh my goodness, to be able to do what he did for so long and hit so many home runs. Man, Hank Aaron has got to be one of the greatest players in Major League Baseball ever. And we say, no doubt, that's affirmation and confirmation. And that's what Jesus is saying now, no doubt. And that's what I want you to do, have affirmation and confirmation about the things of God. So when somebody, you hear somebody saying, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, you say, no doubt, God raised Jesus from the dead. You respond, no doubt, that God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory. No doubt, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. No doubt, no weapon that is formed against you shall be able to prosper. No doubt, nothing shall separate you from the love of God. No doubt, Jesus said, stop doubting. Keep believing. It is your faith. You got to take a leap of faith. Somebody has suggested it is reason that gets you to the edge of the cliff. (laughs) It's faith that gets you over. Stop doubting. Start believing. Have enough faith to trust in Jesus. That reason gets you to the edge of the cliff. Faith gets you over. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, you believe because you see. Jesus said, but blessed are those who have not seen and still believe. I know that includes you and I. Jesus says that some people only believe because they see. But blessed are you because you haven't seen, but you still believe. You don't see how we're going to get through this mess, but you still believe. You don't see how it's going to work out. You don't see when it's going to end. You don't see how you can get back on top, but even though you don't see, you still believe, Jesus said, you're already blessed. Stop doubting and start believing. Let me close my message like this. This was in, in Fremont in California, right outside of San Francisco, it was in 2010, uh, that uh, husband and father, he leaves his house, he's on his way to work, it's like 1.30 in the morning, he's on his way to work. His wife is in the third trimester of her pregnancy and she goes into labor and her water breaks, and she's got an 8-year-old son at home and an 11-year-old daughter at home, and she's trying not to cause them to be afraid. So she's in the bathroom in labor getting ready to deliver this baby. For I don't know how it happened, but her 11-year-old daughter realized what was going on, and her 11-year-old daughter sees what's happening with her mother getting ready to deliver. An 11-year-old called 911, got in touch with the authorities, and began to do everything the authorities told her to do. They told her to get some hot water. She did that. The authorities told her to go get some clean towels. She did that. To go get a shoestring. She did everything. She, the, the 11-year-old heard the authorities say. She did it. And then she helped her mom to deliver the baby. And after delivering the baby, the authorities said, all right, then use the towel to clean the baby off. And then take that shoestring and tie off the umbilical cord six inches from the baby. And she did that. And that's when the paramedics, the EMTs, start knocking at the door. Well, the 11-year-old girl had already delivered the baby. That's an amazing story to me. 11 years old and had the wherewithal to see her mom in trouble and get in touch with authorities and do everything the authorities said, hot water, towels, uh, tying off the umbilical cord, the shoestring, everything they said. And they, she helped her mom with that delivery. And the story will make a lot of sense to you when I tell you what the little girl's name is. (laughs) The 11-year-old girl's name is Faith. And when Faith saw the mother in trouble, Faith got in touch with the authorities. And Faith began to do everything the authorities said to do. And because Faith stepped in and Faith did everything that the authorities said to do, that's how the delivery came. That's my word to you today. Yes, we go. We have issues. Yes, we have troubles. Yes, things show up in our lives. But the good news is, when you got faith, you can get in touch with God, and your faith will move based on the authority of God himself and help bring deliverance to your life. And let me help you understand something, too. That woman didn't just get faith. She's had, she's had faith for 11 years Faith has been in that home 11 years. She loved faith. She fed faith. She nurtured faith. She embraced faith. And when she did all that with faith for 11 years, when she needed faith, that's when faith stepped in and brought deliverance. Y'all, you already got faith. Now, stop doubting. Keep believing. Your faith can get in touch with God and bring the deliverance that you need. That's my testimony, like the songwriter said. I have the faith to see the invisible. I have faith to expect the incredible. I have faith to to reach the impossible, faith that can conquer anything. I have the faith to uproot my problems, faith that no God can solve them. Faith to be able to embrace my freedom, faith that can conquer anything. And now, for those of you who never accepted Jesus as your personal Savior, it's that faith you're believing in the death, of burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that will get you a right relationship with God